0: Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst, reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time.
1: Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has eight years of law enforcement analysis experience spending time with Philadelphia PD and Gardner PD in North Carolina. He served in the Air Force and is a former Maryland state police trooper. He holds a master's from Tiffin University, and he is currently the vice president of training for the Carolinas Crime Analysis Association. Please welcome Caleb Myers. Caleb, how are we doing? Doing good, Jason. How are we doing? I am doing very well. So... Definitely interested in the transition from state police work to analysis. How did you discover the law enforcement analysis profession?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, when I was getting my undergrad, I had a professor who knew I was a state trooper prior to that, and Mm -hmm. he also was my advisor and I went and talked to him and he kind of guided me to crime analysis and I went and took a uh, GIS course through the university through Bloomsburg University which is where I got my undergrad up in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and did that loved it loved mapping loved the geography aspect of crime analysis and then I signed up for Eric Pisa's crime mapping analysis through the IACA mm-hmm. and I did a week long training with him and I was like all right I'm hooked it's t- it's time to make this make this happen so And then I attended in 2013, I attended the IECA conference in Fort Lauderdale as a student. So it was was nice to be down there. I will tell you at the time, though, I had no clue. I was just learning about crime analysis (laughs) that year, 2013. So going to that was a little overwhelming, but, you know, I took a a lot of good stuff from it and was like, yeah, this is something I want to keep going with.
1: Yeah. What what in particular do you think was the draw to uh, GIS for you?
0: I mean, I'm always fascinated with geography. There's a little bit of a joke with my family where if they give me a place on in the United States, I can zoom right to it fairly quick within a few seconds. <laughs> so I just enjoy the geography type, the aspect of crime mapping. So I'm not mm-hmm. sure if there's any one particular thing that pops out to me. but
1: Yeah, yeah. So then even before all this, though, how did you get from the Air Force to Maryland State Police? oh man
0: so i did six years in the air force three in montana and three in maryland and i was assigned to andrews air force base which is just outside dc and it's also where air force one is held and i we guarded that for for a while i was on that plane and helped guard it on the flight line and you know you have all your dignitaries and stuff come in and it came around to that time, like every enlisted person, it was like, do you stay in? Do you get out? And decided I wanted to get out and started applying for jobs. And always knew I wanted to be a cop when I was little and all that growing up. So I started applying for you know, Pennsylvania. I have family up in Pennsylvania and Maryland and Illinois and stuff like that. So I applied everywhere and Maryland called me back. And it was about a month after I got out of the military, I started their training with them through their six-month academy.
1: All right. How was that transition for you from the Air Force uh, to the Maryland State Police? Similarities, differences? Yeah,
0: so a lot of similarities. I mean, the Maryland State Police Academy, very paramilitary. It was on campus, so we stayed there. Woke up, you know, there's many nights you've been woken up in the morning, 3 a.m., 2 a.m., and you'd have an instructor yelling, at you doing, push-ups and (laughs) sit-ups, and you go for a mile run, come back, and have to try to fall asleep. So it was very paramilitary in that aspect, and six months in a in a dorm every day it was just some type of instructions, PT. It was is very structured, so that was an easy transition for me going from the Air Force to that. You know, military is the same same type of way with the structure, so very simple to do that.
1: Okay, and then with the state police, then what were some of your tasks that you did as an officer?
0: Yeah, so I graduated in August from the Academy and then got assigned to Eastern Eastern Maryland, which was on the eastern shore of Maryland. And I was assigned to Dorchester County, which is a huge fishing community. And it's just, if you're going towards the Ocean City, Maryland, it's just on Route 50 going down that way. So the, our biggest thing, obviously, with the troopers is a lot of traffic. But with that area, because it's so big and expansive and the only thing they had was the deputies there and a few city cops but not many we also assisted with your domestics with you know going to the fishing communities with your fights and everything like that so we kind of had a little bit of diversity in that sense i mean obviously we were taking care of route 50 going to ocean city so can you imagine our summers were quite busy with travelers coming down through there but for the most part You know two troopers to the county and we responded to anything and everything that happened down there so it was quite interesting very eye-opening so and some interesting stories when it comes to probably just sit here and talk about that for for the whole show if if we needed to
1: yeah well now that you mentioned it you got to give me at least one
0: so (laughs) oh man so i'm fresh out of training so once you get done with your august training you go on and you sit with a senior officer and you ride around with them and they grade you and all that i just got my car brand new driving around i'm with my training officer and we go to a fight in progress and when we get up there it's north and north of the county so the two um, troopers from south on the other county come down and help us as well so there's four troopers there we jump out and of course people take off running everywhere all the troopers besides myself take off running (laughs) and they're (laughs) running after, um, these suspects. And I'm sitting there looking at the crowd and I'm like, well, we don't want to leave everybody because what if they were a decoy, you know, I don't want to, if the suspect is here, I don't want to leave them. So I'm sitting with probably 25 people and, you could just tell you could probably tell i would i would love to go back and interview them and be like could you tell i was a green cop and (laughs) they're oh they probably would have gave you all kinds of stories and be like yeah that was very obvious i was trying to control the crowd and make sure no one left and try to get statements as well while my three troopers were running after this other suspect so it's very interesting like i said very eye-opening to be like Oh, we're we're doing this. We're doing this right now. So yeah.
1: I I envisioned that when you're talking to them and you're trying to be very stern that your voice is cracking. <laughs>
0: oh, it's oh it's so much, so much, so young, fresh. Didn't know what I was getting into.
1: Yeah, but it it's it's fascinating though that they listened to you though, right? You had 15 people that probably could have just walked away at any time, but probably felt that you were still an authority figure that you they couldn't leave
0: definitely i mean i think i I think you know with the appearance of of the trooper in any state i think you kind of get that so Mm -hmm. uh, maybe that's what they were looking at Mm -hmm. they just didn't look past the past the stetson hat and in the uniform to be like oh this guy's he's brand new
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh that's good stuff so then you transition from being a trooper to being a full-time student. So it's kind of take me into that decision.
0: So a very, one of my most interesting decisions, I guess I should say. So been on the road since August, it's coming up May of the following year. And my family is still up in Pennsylvania and we're kind of doing the traveling thing because we weren't sure if, you know, we don't want to move our family and sure if this is going to work out or whatever. So Staying down there and then realized, I don't know, it was probably earlier that year, I was like, man, I really want to finish my bachelor's and go back for that. I mean, I did some schooling in in the Air Force, of course, because that was free and they provided that. And I was like, I I got interested in some of it as you get older. I think for me, definitely, it was like, oh, I want to go. I want to go learn this. I want to go do this. So made a decision as a family that we would move back to Pennsylvania which looking back now, you know, you go through that six month academy and anybody that's been through a pretty hard six month academy knows that you put a lot of sweat and tears and some blood and some all kinds of other stuff into it. And, but we made that decision and I'm extremely happy I did because it was, I was afforded the opportunity to, first of all, learn about this career and then also get my bachelor's and my master's. So yeah, we made that transition I was a full-time student at Bloomsbury University going for my criminal justice degree so
1: All right. No, that that is interesting and that is a big left turn. Right? Yeah, big, As, definitely. Right? So, I mean cuz I I'm just putting trying to envision what the reaction was is like oh it's like you just got here like no, no. <laughs> you know <it> was <laughs> like and you want to go back to school you think you just went through that whole thing just to go back to school so it's definitely if there's a typical path that's definitely not typical you know most people go to school first and then and then in law enforcement but you did it you know played the cards that you were dealt and it in a slightly different way
0: absolutely and i think in this day and age i mean typical is not what we think anymore so Mm -hmm. but in that situation you know i looking back it's like man i wish i would have this this degree as well as this crime analysis knowledge and still be a trooper because i would be tearing it up out there (laughs) nice (laughs) amazing
1: nice nice all right so then let's get into your analysis work then because so you finish your degree you get an internship and then you start at philadelphia pd
0: yeah so man one of one of the more discouraging times in my career actually is transitioning from that student from that undergrad (laughs) to trying to find a job in crime analysis right i can't tell you how many places i applied to Mm -hmm. and in the same time, this is before, this is, you know, pre-COVID, so interviews weren't online, interviews you had to go to, like, you mm-hmm. had to fly to these places, and we were military, so we were willing to kind of move anywhere, so I applied for places in Colorado, and, and North Carolina, and um, Kansas, and Florida, so we were kind of applying for everything just to see what we could get, and I applied for Philadelphia as well, and they ended up calling me back, and kind of went through that, and Started with them in 2015 and worked in their Delaware Valley Intelligence Center in their real-time crime center. So just like you imagine a real-time crime center, TVs everywhere, cameras everywhere, and we sit inside there and, and monitor radios and monitor cameras. for. That's how I kind of got started into the crime analysis world.
1: Obviously, you had the knowledge that you gained from being a trooper in terms of police work and, and data and then i guess when you're going through the interview then for the analyst job did anybody ever tell you like what stuck out or why they picked you for the position
0: you know i i never got that from them i do remember one thing that was interesting we went to get to apply for philadelphia you know the first part of it is is you have to take this test and Mm -hmm. we went to downtown philly and there was probably I think that day, I think they did two or three days of testing. And that first day in my session, there was 300 people that were testing for jobs all across the city. Mm -hmm. But I can only imagine, and I talked to one of the other analysts that got hired with me, and he, he said, yeah, he was in the next day. And he said there was another 300 people. So I guess they just... They are. Uh, they have all these testing and, and all these analysts trying to come up. But mm-hmm. it was throughout the city. But yeah, no, no one ever said we liked your trooper background. We like this. It was. I think maybe I'd like to think I I won them over with my my friendly banter. <laughs> but I don't know if that happened.
1: <laughs> so what kind of questions were on the test?
0: It was. It was. Just your basic—it was almost like a basic police officer exam test. Mm-hmm. So when you do the—not not coming to me right off the top of my head, but one mm-hmm. of the police officer entry exam test, mm-hmm. thats kind of how they had it set up. There wasn't too much analysis questions on there. So that w- that's why I thought was very interesting about the about the test, which mm-hmm. it made sense now because you know going for that position, being in the real time crime centers, which which is where a lot of the analysts started. There wasn't a lot of analytical work. It was mostly watching cameras, and every once in a while, you would get some stuff where you got to break off and do those types of projects, those analytical projects, which I really enjoyed at the time. So, and that's why I'm here, where I'm at now.
1: So, was the interview like a three-person panel type thing?
0: Yeah, I think it. I, th- I think it was four. Yeah, it was four people sitting around talking. Obviously, they asked me about the trooper position and wanted to know you know, what happened there, because like you said, it's not Mm -hmm. the uh, traditional path, and and they asked me about some of my uh, college work, some of my undergrad work, and I let them know that at that time, I was already starting on my master's, Mm -hmm. so I let them know that and everything, but yeah, the interview was mostly just kind of your basic standard interview questions. It wasn't too analytical heavy on the questions, so, which looking back now, you know, as it become a little bit more wiser, it's like, oh man, I didn't even see that coming. <laughs> I thought I was going to do, I thought I was going to be an analyst. I thought I was going to do crime, crime analyst work. So yeah, it was very I, interesting.
1: I think it's interesting because I envision with that, if you're hiring multiple analysts at once in this particular scenario, and this seems like a very structured civil service type process that they're going through where you have a test first. I'm guessing they take some top percent of people that scored uh, on that test to give an interview to, and then they're interviewing a certain number of those, and then making the decision based on those interviews on who they're going to hire.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and most things were like, it was uh, very interesting because it was probably another, I mean, I started that process um, when I graduated and mm-hmm. in 2013 and when i say when i graduated, I started applying for all these jobs so sometime in 2014 i i applied for for philly and didn't get hired until the following year i mean it was mm-hmm. almost a year-long process just going through the testing i remember i had to go down and do you know the interview and then once that got done you had to do your you know all your testing you know background and things like that mm-hmm. so you're you're in contact with uh, some type of an investigator to go through that process as well. So mm-hmm. you almost go through it thinking, I hope I get this because this is a long, <laughs> this is a lot of work just to go through this. So yeah, yeah. it's an interesting process going through that through the Philadelphia.
1: Yeah. <laughs> did you get a Did you get a call saying, Hey, are you still interested in this? I know it's been a while.
0: <laughs> I think there was an there was an email saying, Yeah, if you're if you're still interested, apply back to this and they would continue the process because I guess so many people make it to this part of the phase. And like I said, it's a long process. Yeah. They've already got other jobs. They're already saying they don't yeah. want to schedule. They don't want to schedule people. And then you're, you're not even needed or you don't even want to come for the job. So yeah. yeah, I did get one of those emails. <laughs>
1: So, All right. Well, let's. This. let's uh, this brings us to your analyst badge story then. And for those that may be new to the show, the analyst badge story is the career defining case or project that you work. And so it's during this time you're in the real time crime center in Philadelphia PD and you're working a homicide investigation in 2017.
0: Yeah. So, and the case has already been. Tried and they've already been found guilty. But yeah, it was Mellon Street, which is a small street off of Broad Street, which Broad Street fit, splits Philadelphia north and south. And it's in North Philadelphia, and a homicide guy comes home and he gets robbed, and turns out that he ends up getting shot. And at the time, it was my job, and then there was an officer. There's probably four or five people within the real time crime center, including supervisors at the time so it was my job and an officer and i think we had another analyst and we just started combing at the time it was six thousand plus cameras throughout the city and we're going through all the subway cameras all the bus cameras and trying to locate um these two suspects which the initial description was just two male suspects 20 years of age ish somewhere around there we eventually find two suspects in the subway who are they come they're pretty close to where, where it occurred and they jump on the subway and they take it north they jump off they're doing some very sketchy stuff they jump off they take it south again not quite all the way down to where they got on and then jump back on and go northbound again so we're very interested in them and we're capturing you know video and pictures of these two individuals and we ended up in the real-time crime center, we did our own facial recognition, we had link analysis software, and we kind of had all that at our fingertips. So, you know, with two or three of us in there running all this information and going through cameras, we had someone run a facial rec and we get back our facial recognition and and there's probably about I think I wanna say there was probably about thirty or thirty or forty results that came back from that, mm-hmm. which is massive, especially when you're talking about minutes after a homicide and you gotta start to comb through this. I start looking through the video while another analyst starts combing through those to see if we can figure out who the suspect is. Well I notice on his left hand that he has some discoloration and feed that to the other analysts and with that information we were he he would already looked at the the suspect and we were able to put him into link analysis and figure out that he's linked to he has a brother of similar age. And we, it was probably within 20 to 30 minutes. We were able to identify both suspects just off using cameras and facial rec, and then doing some a little bit of investigations. And we, at that time, you transitioned straight into documenting all this, right? The detectives are coming to you, so we're, I'm doing up a timeline because I, I want to say, you, you can imagine how many cameras are in Philly, and especially on the uh, transportation lines. We probably looked at 50 or so cameras just within that little amount of time and we had to document every time we saw them and so i'm putting this on a timeline in excel and trying to document for the detectives who couldn't be too far behind coming up and asking us for information so we had all that but what that did was it kind of put me into first of all within my supervisors but also within myself like oh, this is very interesting work. This is meaningful work. And this is mm-hmm. something that I think I'm going to do forever. Yeah, it was it was very cool to run that end of it. Mm-hmm. Turn, it turns out one of them got 35 years to life and the other one got 25 years to 50 years for that homicide. So very, very pleased, satisfied with that. And it was one of my first big cases that I helped work. So.
1: So when you're looking at the video, you don't catch up to them in terms of real time where you are actually fo- can follow them live, correct? As you mentioned, I think 20 minutes later. So you're just looking through the cameras as you're following them. Is that correct? correct.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we're trying to play that catch up. We're trying to get mm-hmm. them live. Mm-hmm. But by the time, you know, obviously they're moving quick. By the time we figure it out and catch up to them, even though it was that short amount, 20 to 30 minutes behind, we still... Yeah they were already off the train and, and doing whatever they
1: did yeah because I, I was imagining that if you did catch them live the decision like okay are we are we gonna have an officer to uh, do a stop or do a, with, do yeah. a field a field interview but mm-hmm. it, it makes sense then that the way it worked out so the, the the marking that on, that was on the arm, was that a tattoo or was it a birthmark? What was it? No, it was
0: the, uh, I can't think of the name of it, but it was just, so it was two black males and it was just mm-hmm. some discoloration on one of their hands down mm-hmm. by their thumb and their pointer finger. Mm-hmm. And because it was right there on top of the hand, we were able to identify it fairly quickly. And then all the prior jail photos and jail arrest. we were or in the arrest, we were able to identify that someone documented that they had, that that suspect mm-hmm. had that marking on top of his hand right there at that location. So that's how we were able to identify him. So it's very, right. very interesting to play a play hand in that role.
1: Yeah. It just gives you a couple of leads that, that facial recognition. It's rare where they're going to say it's a hundred percent this person, Exactly. Yep. right? Exactly. They're going to give you like it's like a Google search where you you search it and it's gonna give you various oh, results. Massive amount of
0: results, yeah.
1: Yeah, and in this this case, it's it's like good thinking that you look for stuff like that um, to help narrow down the search. So that was that was good good work on you, the team's part. Mm-hmm. So and so I it's you you had mentioned like you didn't feel like you were doing analyst work here or it just seems like that's, it seems like almost uh, did you feel that it was more clerical where you just had this, you would get this information, you would get this request and then you're deciding what databases or what, what information to feedback, how to satisfy the request. So in that regard, it was more, like maybe more manual, and I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm just trying to get capture an idea of what you felt the task was. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: I mean, in my mind, especially working on my master's at the time and, and already getting my uh, bachelor's, it was, this is kind of very, I mean, it was interesting work, but it's very tactical work, very on point. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, as soon as we got done with like the next day coming in, we were not working on that homicide that mm-hmm. that was all the information we had. We passed it along and it was pretty much out of our hands. So, and that was kind of a, an extreme point, right? So mm-hmm. most of most of the cases, we're not working on that within the hour. We're already, we've already documented everything and passed mm-hmm. it along to the detective. So it's very quick work. And I just didn't feel as though, especially based on my, my Education that this is what analytical work was, or this is what crime analysis, a crime analyst did. So mm-hmm. even though while up there I did a little, a few projects helped out mostly. It still wasn't what I was looking for. I think.
1: Yeah, that was it. The real time crime center open twenty four seven, so there was shift work involved.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. We we switched between a day shift and an evening shift, but mm-hmm. yeah, there was a permanent night shift, and somebody was always up there.
1: Oh, okay. All right. It's interesting, is as, as I've been doing this podcast and over the years talking with different analysts that have worked in these types of, whether it's a fusion center or a real time crime center. It does seem there's short lived time there. Like I, I don't know. At least off the top of my head, I don't know somebody that's been doing this for like fifteen, twenty years in in the real-time crime center so there does seem like there's this point where you have to shift gears and do something else
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, you could probably stay up there if you wanted to and do that Mm -hmm. type of work, but it's a great entry level job, right? Mm -hmm. It gets you exposed to more stuff. You're on the radio, you're talking with officers on the street Mm -hmm. with radio contact, you're working in different systems, which you're going to need to know when you're pulling data, when you're on the other end, pulling data from those systems, um, trying to do some type of research or analysis. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that. I mean, we had a couple of analysts before me. That's why I got hired, right? We had mm-hmm. some analysts before me that they were in there and they left and they went on to different jobs. So, yeah, I'm not sure if the analysts stay up there. I, I do know we had some officers that were there. They loved it. They stayed there for a very, <laughs> very long time. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So I do. Yeah. And I do see in there, there's definitely some great opportunities there to get to know various systems because you you mentioned CAD and there's license plate reader. There's all the different databases. There's cameras. There's social media. There's there's a lot going on with with what's being asked of those that work in a real time crime center.
0: Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, there was no shortage of systems to switch between. I guess that's why they gave us three or four monitors. We can kind of have <laughs> them have them all up at once. <laughs> I am Laura Weaver, and my pet peeve is to smile when people do not smile back. <laughs> Just be kind and. Everybody's world is very busy. Sometimes we are not very happy, but take some time
1: out of your day to smile at a stranger because you never know what they are going through.
0: Hi, I'm Charlie Giverti. Uh, one question that people ask me a lot is how to get respect and buy in in an agency. Uh, and I always tell crime analysts on day one, the most important thing to do is uh, find the biggest police officer in the department and just knock his ass out in front of everybody.
1: And that way they'll all have more respect for you.
0: What I mean by that is, Find the people who are your leaders, your informal leaders, your high-eigen value people, and win them over one at a time. Wow them. Knock them out with what you can do and how you can make their life easier. And then they'll be the ones who go and get all of the buy-in before
1: you. So then let's talk about the transition from Philadelphia here to Gardner PD.
0: Yeah, so like I said, I was looking for more analytical work. I love doing the, you know, upfront tactical on the scene type stuff. That was very interesting. But I wanted to find something that maybe split that, split those Mm -hmm. duties or did some analytical work and some research work. I learned through my undergrad and through my master's that research, I really was interested in research and kind of your long-term projects. So transition, started applying again for different jobs and was able to get hired with Garner north carolina in 2018 and came down here and been here ever since and yeah it's a little bit of everything i help the detectives and do those type of things but also i'm able to shut the door and do some research and do some analytical projects as well so
1: yeah. So but how big is Gardner? I'm I'm guessing that it's not as big as Philadelphia, but was it uh, quite a shell shock for you to go from Philadelphia to Gardner?
0: Yeah, it was it wasn't so much just because I think with the military that helped me. However, it was to learn that, you know, we're not as busy as they are up there, <laughs> but I I will say that my second day, I I came in in March March twelfth or march eleventh of two thousand eighteen and on March eighteenth or March thirteenth they had a homicide here. And of course you know where that went, right? Everybody <laughs> was like, they're blaming me. They're like, You brought this down <laughs> We we haven't had a homicide this long and that long and I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, but I'm here to help you. Yeah. So <laughs> Oh
1: man, no that's good. Yeah, um, it
0: wasn't it's not quite as busy here, but we'll we'll see an occasional major crime here once in, once in a while.
1: You're getting into a mixture of crime analysis and intel analysis at this at this job, right? Yeah, and I, and
0: I think that's what you're going to see, you know, especially with one analyst departments, right? And we're 75 officers, 35, 36,000 population. So we're not that big, but we sit just on the edge of Raleigh in North Carolina, and yeah, it's with those one analyst departments, you're You know, I'll be doing Intel, working a homicide with the detectives and then switch over and the chief will need something for an annual report or for a monthly report and switch over to doing analytics and and pulling some data on that as well. So yeah, it's a, it's a huge mixture and it, it fluctuates day to day, week to week and sometimes day to day, so.
1: Well, it sounds like you stay busy though. I mean, I think that's, I've heard from other people that there's a hesitancy of hiring somebody from a big city because they're worried that they would be bored with the job.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I've never shied away from finding work. There's stuff to do and there's Mm -hmm. project, there's projects to be had and research to be done. And yeah, you know, trickle that in there with a little bit of you know major crimes every once in a while and yeah i stay busy and there's plenty to do we are a huge retail area we Mm -hmm. have cabelas we have two targets best buy all the stuff you would have so we get our we get our fair share of thefts that's for sure
1: well that actually is a nice lead-in for your second analyst badge story 2018 dealing with a jewelry robbery
0: yeah so 2018 i was k jewelers to suspects walk in they were an orange construction vest which was unique and they rob the k jewelers this is about four or five in the afternoon and they rob the k jewelers and i think they end up getting away with it was probably 300 or so thousand dollars worth of jewelry mm-hmm. so we interesting enough the way we got started on that is a witness a week prior took a picture of a vehicle that was driving through the parking lot it was sitting in the parking lot of the K Jewelers, and this is like a strip mall. There's K Jewelers, there's Verizon, mm-hmm. there's a Chipotle, there's a few other things. And the witness takes a picture of this vehicle because it was sitting there for a very long time, and then ends up driving away and gets a picture of the vehicle and the license plate. So we don't think much of it. We're like, well, that's a week ago. I mean, that's pretty crazy that they would be sitting out doing uh, surveillance for that long. But we do. I start to do a workup on this suspect. Around on this person of interest and learn. come to find out he has ties to jewelry robberies prior. He also has ties to New York and was previously in jail for a murder charge that he did. He did 17 years for a murder, first degree murder charge. And so it was a very interesting fellow. So we kind of had him up there with all his information and had him on the back burner. We put out a bulletin. And he didn't match our suspect they were close but he didn't match the people that we had in the store we put out a bulletin and come to find out a store close to the eastern shore going out towards the towards the beach had a similar robbery where they came in and they did the same thing so we started kind of working their end as well and collaborating with them and we run ankle monitors in the area and find that one (laughs) of the suspects Lo and behold, had his ankle monitor on when he did the one out.
1: Oh, by the Oh my! Goodness.
0: And he actually did not go in the store, but it was interesting because he was there right outside the store um, at the time of this, and then left immediately when it happened uh, or after it happened. So we have that suspect. We take the the picture from the from our bank robbery and we run. I start running license plate readers up and down the East Coast because he has ties to New York. So. When then we come to find out he actually, two days after ours, we talked with New York City police and he has, he's hitting off of their Diamond District LPR. Mm-hmm. And long story short, we find out he's actually been taking jewelry up there from different jewelry thefts and selling it. Like if you can't sell it down here, he's selling it up there in the in the Diamond District.
1: That's interesting. And that's that same car that uh,
0: Brandon the pers-
1: random so person took a, took a picture of a week prior to your incident.
0: Yeah. yeah. So that that guy was kind of like the, the head of this organization. And he had four or five other people who went in and did the robberies, but then would give the stuff to him and mm-hmm. he would get rid of the jewelry and able to give it back. So a few months later, after it happened, the FBI comes in and actually takes the case they come in and it was interesting because i mean i say take the case yes they took the case but we worked with them they were very open with that and we worked with them to kind of share all the information and get them up to speed we also were able to listen to one of the suspects had a girlfriend in one of our prisons and we were able to listen to her jail calls and of course someone has to go through all that and sift through all that and document that stuff but we went out to the shore and met with myself, a detective and our Lieutenant, and met with the FBI and this other police department and kind of did a little collab session, if you will, and shared all of our information. On the way back, we followed the ankle monitor and we noticed that on this random interstate on the way back to you know, our area, that he stopped that night on the side of the road for quite a bit. So on the way back, we stopped And we get out somewhere in that area, and we start walking, like, the roadside. And this has been a couple months now. And we start walking the roadside and kind of going up in the woods. And we locate a bottle of some type of liquor, a charging cable that's wrapped around a tree, almost looked like an identifier, like this is where we left something or this is where Mm -hmm. uh, we put something in the woods. And then there was a handcuff key and handcuffs. So the one that they did towards the beach, they handcuffed the lady or the victim, and they also tied the other victim up with a, some type of cord. So we were able to collect that evidence, which was a, a total random shot in the dark. We just were like, well, let's stop and let's figure <laughs> this out. And, and let's just see what's out here. And maybe, because we didn't know why they stopped. Well, it yeah. comes to find out, we start running, we contact the local police of this jurisdiction and we have them run their calls calls for service And a police officer stopped that night with these four individuals and picked two of them up because they were already walking, picked two of them up and gave them a ride to the local gas station and got some gas because they ran out of gas, is what had happened, and gave them a ride back to their car. And we weren't able to get the video, but we were talking to the officer and he confirmed, you know, suspect. Their descriptions, also who was in the vehicle, like how many people were in the vehicle, what the vehicle, whose vehicle it was, and then what the other two were doing when he came by the vehicle. And then he said that they were up in the woods or like right along the edge of the woods, like sitting, like you would be waiting for someone. Mm. So it was a kind of an interesting case and kind of come a little full circle because we were able to provide that stuff. Obviously, it's been months after, so I don't think they got any Fingerprints off of it or anything like that, but we were able to provide that for evidence and it only boosted the case because we were almost in transition of like handing the case to the FBI and that kind of kept us in there. <laughs> I guess oh, yeah. they kind of had to keep using us. Nice.
1: Nice. That's that's this case is one that if they did a, like based a TV show on it and I, I would be like, yeah, like it would be that convenient for yeah. the, the guy to have an ankle bracelet right outside the jewelry store. And then also like how convenient that you ran out of gas like that would never happen. Right. That would exactly. be like I'd be yelling at the TV and saying that would never happen. <laughs>
0: i think i've probably been there as well or i've yelled at the tv and said no that doesn't happen it's interesting when it does though you just almost can't believe it you're like did they really have an ankle monitor on okay yeah.
1: so yeah. it's a interesting story for sure yeah no that that is fascinating and it is also fascinating i guess it would be worthwhile that you get top dollar up there in New York, maybe to make it worthwhile to travel up there with all those diamonds. But
0: yeah, I think in his indictment they said it was over six hundred thousand dollars worth of jewelry. Yeah. So I'm not sure what he got, what he got yeah. up there. But I knew he mm-hmm. he had connections up there too, so he might have had some family he stayed with a yeah. few times just to make it worth it.
1: Yeah. Now was the surveillance video pretty clear and crisp, or was it one of those pixely things?
0: No, it was pretty clear. and crisp i mean Mm -hmm. for what it could be you know we were very happy to have it and you were able to make out certain features i mean obviously they had their face covered and stuff like that but there were certain just features about them that you were able to make out and then clothing descriptions which we were able to match up later once we got search warrants and stuff but yeah interesting enough this was one of those times where the video was kind of decent as well so (laughs) (laughs) i know it doesn't happen often
1: Yeah, good deal. Yeah, and I see on your resume here that you're you're known as the go to guy for Intel.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll tell you a a quick story. So, you know, in the police department, there's a lot of switch up, there's a lot of movement. People get people retire, people get lieutenant's jobs, sergeant's jobs, everybody moves up. So, we, I was under the criminal investigation division. A few years ago, and we had a new sergeant come in and sit with the uh, special investigations. He was running them. So one day, you know, I'll jump in with them and go out on the road every once in a while, and I jump in with him. And we knew of each other, but we never worked any cases together. And we're riding around our local area and we pull over to a kind of a lottery uh, game of chance type of area, place or whatever. And we're watching individuals go in and out. And on the other end, we have, we're have we doing some surveillance. But as these individuals come in and out, I'm they're walking out, and I'm telling them, oh, that's who that is. And I'm telling them, oh, that's who that is. I'm giving them names <laughs> and ages and saying, oh, that's how they're connected, because they're connected to this person, and they're connected to that person. So a big part of my job when I first got here was intel-led policing. Well, it was just learning everything there is to know about why people were in Garner and what they're doing mm-hmm. here. So it really, it really gave me a head up, a heads up because I was able to, you know, a lot of people say go on rides with officers or get out, and I agree with that. But I also showed them. I was like, I know who that is. Like, you don't have to go through facial rec. You don't have to go <laughs> on social media and try to figure out who that larceny person is. I, I, I know that person because I've been watching them for a while now. So
1: we, when you say watching them, is are you? is this surveillance? Do you have cameras there or is it data? What do you, what are you doing to so, all of them?
0: Yeah. So when I say watching them, I, I mean, they have popped up in a previous case mm-hmm. and I'll do a little bit of background, just social media and figure out what, mm-hmm. if they popped up anywhere else in any the other jurisdictions around here and put out a bulletin saying, Hey, this person's here, he's stealing, he's probably going to come to somebody else's um, place. And in doing that, we'll kind of learn a little bit of background about them by using some of the systems that we have as well as using social media. And that's how I learned about them. That's how, what I would call watching them, even though we're not actively watching them all the time, but like if they're committing crimes in other areas or in our area, then I'm going to know about them. So.
1: Are you seeing any particular trends there in Gardner? I'm thinking like (laughs) catalytic converters always go up when the price is right or anything like that what's
0: interesting when we say that and we talk about real estate and renting and stuff like that we're seeing a ton of thefts in in relation to real estate right so any type of you know you know back in the day we had the copper thefts Mm -hmm. and now they've still they've stole all that so there's no copper left in any of the buildings but now it's becoming like appliances Wood, things like that, anything that's new construction. We're we have a lot of residential construction up here, so anything that is out on the job site is a potential to be taken. So a lot of wood and a lot of appliances and things like that, flooring, um, anything you can think of when it comes to new construction. That's what we're seeing up here right now. So
1: well, I do want to talk a little bit about you being the the state trooper and then going to work for a city. Police departments. What are some of the de- big differences that you see between being a state trooper and what you've seen maybe the city cops do?
0: It's. I think there's a, a there's more collaboration. There's more the city cops, local cops. I feel like maybe it's just the lack of resources, or I, I'm not sure. But they're much they're much more willing to go talk to, you know, Raleigh Police Department or. You know, some of the other agencies around this area mm-hmm. and just kind of collab with them and, and talk to them about cases that they're having problems with and stuff like that. So I think maybe a little bit more sharing, a little bit more open, whereas I felt as though when I was a trooper, it was all trooper. Like, mm-hmm. we, you know, we worked with the, we worked with the deputies in the sheriff's department, but we didn't talk about like it was because we responded to calls together so maybe a little more closed off i mean a little bit more obviously it's a little bit more paramilitary right so Mm -hmm. some would say a little more squared away but being here in in a local and city we go after crime right we want to solve crime we want to keep the public safe and that's what the main focus is here and it's it's been a little bit of a breath of fresh air because of that as you see people's intentions when when that happens and with the troopers like i just Felt like it was maybe some, you know, still getting out there and doing stuff and still keeping us you know, public safety. But it was a lot of traveling up and down the road. We weren't really talking to other local law enforcement. Um, we were responding to calls coming back in here. Um, whereas I see it's a little different here where they're still responding to calls. But, you know, if I go out to a call, Here, if they go out to a call with a deputy or something like that they might sit there and talk to the deputy about what else is happening in their area and it might be and that's how we build intel here so
1: let's talk about your master's a a little bit because as i mentioned in your intro you got it from tiffin university and you do have a concentration in crime analysis so i guess looking back now and how do you feel that the the master's degree has helped you in your current position.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it was a very valuable in terms of, especially when I learned about crime analysis late in my undergrad, this really helped me because a lot of the courses within that program are designed around mapping or designed around, you know, your basic crime analysis stuff where you're building bulletins, you're sifting through data, stuff like that. So I thought that program was very interesting And very meaningful and valuable for me, just because I was so interested in this career and and didn't really have a clue as to what I needed to learn. So Mm -hmm. that really helped out a
1: lot. So yeah. Now, do you recommend the the master's degree? You, You know, if you're if you're already maybe an analyst, and or do you feel that some of the stuff that you learned in that program you could learn in you taking just a couple of courses or maybe getting certified with an organization
0: yeah no i mean i don't say that everybody needs to have a master's or everybody needs to have an education i think if you can learn some of these things from on the job training Mm -hmm. the the idea of progressing your career is to always be learning something right so Mm -hmm. don't just sit stagnant so as it was a great program and i would suggest doing that program. However, I don't think it's a necessary, like you don't need to have a master's to do this position. I think you can learn a lot of it from on the job um, or even with just a bachelor's or maybe like you said, a certificate or some courses here and there.
1: Yeah. Hmm. I'm always surprised that these universities or colleges that have a either a degree or concentration or certificate in law enforcement analysis, whether it's crime analysis or intel analysis or combination thereof. I'm surprised that we don't see these colleges and universities at conferences. Yeah, and I think,
0: yeah, and actually, I think we might see that changing here in the coming years just because of what we just said right a lot of analysts might not have the degree they might you know I know early on especially it was we are pulling a records clerk right we're pulling a secretary we're pulling a police officer and that's who our crime analyst is going to be and so you might have a lot of these analysts that don't have the degree that maybe want to get a degree but that is interesting we I maybe one or two conferences I've been at I've seen them but yeah yeah I don't see much of them
1: yeah, I think the only one I could really think of off the top of my head was, is it American University? It's yeah, I think about And DC, that. that's the one that I, I remember seeing, but I don't remember seeing any of the other ones. All right, let's move on to personal interest. And you're into real estate.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I went through and a few years back and read all the books on, you know, how to increase some of the financials financial situation so we we started to get into real estate and a couple years ago and bought our first duplex and absolutely love it not much of the managing side of it just because you know my day job takes a lot of that away from Mm -hmm. and but yeah we long-term rentals interested in short-term rentals but we haven't jumped yet and made that made that decision but yeah interested always looking for that next opportunity always kind of searching realtor and different uh, websites to see if, if there's an option out there maybe I could pick up and and add to the portfolio, I guess I would say.
1: Yeah. How many properties do you have?
0: So right now we just have the duplex, mm-hmm. but like I said, it's interesting this year because of the interest rate hike, mm-hmm. but we haven't completely jumped into it again because mm-hmm. we're not sure exactly where everything's going to go, but sure. we're always always looking and always open.
1: Yeah. No, I think we're about to get into some foreclosure situations. Awesome. I, I think we're, it's, it's interesting. You, you you stick around long enough. You see the different eaves and flows of real estate. Mm-hmm. And it seems like now I, I, cause I'm interested in, and I've been following it for probably 20 years, slightly almost as a hobby. I don't have a, a rental, but I've always been a little interested in, in the concept. and, it does seem like people are holding on to their cash because they're they're ready to jump on some foreclosures. Yeah. So
0: something's going to happen. Right. I mean, you see these interest rates extremely high and and we'll see what happens. Uh, but, yeah, I agree. I think there's mm-hmm. some opportunity possibly coming up out there.
1: Yeah, and I do find it fascinating because I was just telling somebody the other day, I was like, even if I just even if somebody gave me an opportunity, a new job, that's a better paying job, I would have to seriously consider over the lifetime of that job selling this house now because I'm at. I refinanced a couple of years ago, and so I'm like, I don't know, two yeah. <laughs> percent. Turn around and yes. get. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna turn around and get like a seven percent loan, right? Yeah, I'm not sure anybody's
0: making that making that jump. Yeah, yeah, cause, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you got,
1: yeah,
0: if you refinanced refinanced a few years ago, then you you did pretty well for yourself.
1: Now, in terms of the you the rental aspect of it did you hire that out or did you make the decision yourself who to rent to
0: so no we make the decision and we're renting Mm -hmm. we're managing it just because it's one right now eventually down the road i would like to get off and hire it out to a managing company but right now we're kind of doing everything which Mm -hmm. is interesting because it gives you a different perspective of how these how this goes i mean we re-rented a few years back or for a few years so we kind of understand the aspect coming into this so
1: yeah. Now did you have you always uh, done a good job of identifying the the renter or did you have somebody that was like, Oh, I wish I wouldn't have rented to
0: that? No, I mean we 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 pay for, you know, a background mm-hmm. check and all that stuff. So we mm-hmm. try to do a good job. You know, and I, I haven't had knock on wood, any bad situations yet, but I've heard, you know, obviously part of forums and stuff like that. And I've heard of them all and I'm like, and maybe that's the reason for the hesitation to get back into another one. You know, you don't know what you're going to get.
1: Yeah. I had a buddy that did it. And the first time he made a mistake and, uh, you know, gave a person a chance when they slightly didn't have the strict numbers and what i mean by numbers is the formula of what you would want to see in a candidate exactly. and and he paid the price for it and it got them got fortunately was able to get them get them out of there but then his second tenant was just pristine and just okay. It just worked out from that point on and rented i think i think he eventually sold but he rented all the way up to the point when when he sold it so it, yeah. just a, it worked out the second time but the first time he kind of stumbled
0: yeah if you hear those stories and you know you never want it to happen to you but it's out there so
1: yeah all right very good well our last segment to the show is words to the world this is where I give the guest the last word. Caleb, you can promote any idea that you wish. What are your words to the world?
0: Ooh, I have I have two things I want to say here. One's for like the old analysts and one's for the new analysts, because I feel like I'm somewhere in between right now. And that's what, as for the new analysts, collaborate with everyone. Reach out to everyone. If somebody wants to talk to you, pick their ear, because there's so much to learn out there. And then with the old analysts, make sure you help a new analyst. There's we've all been in that situation, right? Where we're coming on and we're kind of piecing things together and we're trying to figure things out. And I know the Carolinas right now, we're seeing a ton of new analysts come on board. And so just make sure that we're helping them and putting them on the right path. And if they reach out, don't don't shut them away and help them out. Cause I think we were all there at one time.
1: Very good. boy. Well, leave every guest with you. Give me just enough to talk bad about you later. <laughs> okay <laughs> but i do appreciate you being on the show caleb thank Thanks. you so much and you be safe thank you jason have a
0: good one thank you for making it to the end of another episode of analyst talk with jason elder you can show your support by
1: sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com if you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion
0: for our next guest please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com till next time analysts keep talking